Hello and welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. The call to gird up is an ancient way of telling a man to prepare himself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers, brothers in Christ, working hard to become the men that God has called us to be. I am your host, Charlie Jungemach. I'm a teacher, a coach, music director, and a man of God, myself working toward the goal of, like David, being a man after God's own heart. We're happy you could join us. Now it's time to roll up our sleeves, to gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. All right, we're back with Ralph Moreau. He's the big wig for the area over at FCA. Are you the big wig? Yeah, I'm the second the big second wig. wig. <laughs> He's got a wig. And uh, that's, that's weird. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about masculinity right now. Uh, and so let's get a little background on you, Ralph. Where'd you grow up? What, what did your young life look like a little bit? All right, grew up in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Um, family of six boys. I have five brothers. I was the third of six. So right in the middle. Yeah, right in the middle. Um, we were, yeah, we were a church-going family. Um, my dad, my dad saw it as being a good thing, but it, but it, he wasn't really didn't have really a spiritual life. My mom was really the the spiritual catalyst early in our lives. I think it was when I was in college that my dad. Uh, made a decision to um, get serious about God and um, whatever. So we were a moral family. We were taught, you know, taught moral principles and um, pretty conservative. Um, out of my brothers, three of us. <laughs> I'm just trying to think how I'm saying that. So it's probably not fair. We probably all six of us were athletes um, at some point in, in another. Three of us really tried to take it as far as we could um, into high school and even into college. Um, the other three um, had some success but had some failures in in athletics and, and chose to go other other directions. Um, two of them were two of them were um, into acting and some of that and musicals and some things like that and um, my oldest brother who was really maybe might have been the best natural athlete of all of us. Um, just didn't have, uh, I mean, got teased a lot because he was small, he was small and fast. Um, but he had some eye issues that weren't, um, diagnosed early on. And so he wasn't real good with hand eye coordination. So he got made fun of a lot. And so for him, sports was just a bad place to be. So he left it and got more involved in school and science and whatever. And I mean, I, I say this all the time. He's brilliant compared to me. I mean, he he probably reads he probably reads um two books a week, um just for pleasure. Um, I I maybe read uh, a book every two months, um, and that's even part of my job, you know. But, um, so we were you know we grew up in a family that that we enjoyed sports together to some extent, and then it became um, a harder thing um, for a couple of my brothers and. Um, so it was a mixed bag. Cool. And so then you grew up uh, playing sports. Uh, went to you went to Brookfield Central. Is that correct? Yes. And yes. what sports did you play there? I played football, basketball, ran track, and played baseball. Cool. Does that come conflict very much with track and 
in baseball or is it pretty well it didn't be because we we played summer baseball at the oh, time okay. so i mean literally i ran in the state track meet on a saturday and played in the first baseball game on monday oh okay yeah and you were a pretty good athlete you know i was i um I had a really good high school career. I would say it was probably, um, in a lot of ways, my glory um, mm-hmm. years in sports. Um, I I got uh, conference recognition, all conference in all four of the sports. Um, ran in the state track meet twice. Was all county in baseball, and so um, really had. I mean, really had a lot of fun. Um, Developed a lot of relationships through uh, through the, my high school years. Then I went on to college, and I actually played all four of the sports in college at one time or another, which can sound pretty impressive until you think about it. Because <laughs> the reason I played all four was because um, you know the first two I tried didn't pan out, so I tried the other two. So, <laughs> all right, cool. And so then you, what did you study in college? Um, I actually got a business administration degree. Um, okay, I went to lacrosse my. Freshman year, uh, left lacrosse and transferred to Stevens Point um, and finished my career at Stevens Point. Okay. And so then you came out and got a job in, in the real world, quote yep. unquote, right? Yep. And uh, what, so what happened after that? Um, for, for four years, I worked in retail management um, and kind of moved up the, it was, a small, it was a small athletic footwear company, moved up the chain pretty quickly. Um, to the point where I was working as um, a, what, what would be called a district manager, handling a couple of stores, mm-hmm. and was sort of an uh, assistant buyer for the company. Um, and then, and then, in the midst of that, I got uh, selected to go on a Christian basketball team called Sports Ambassadors to Africa. It sort of came out of the blue. I had applied the year before I started my job, and. Um, and they didn't have any room on any teams, and I just figured it was all over. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I got a letter saying I had been uh, selected to go to Africa. And my job, my my boss at the time uh, thought it would was a great idea. Gave me a leave of absence for the eight weeks to go on the trip, and um, and 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 that trip really started started the gears turning in my head. I I saw God use me um, playing basketball and making an impact on people and whatever and. It became it, it became the seed that was planted to to say that maybe God wanted me to think about doing sports ministry full time and it you know I'm a slow I'm a slow processor so it took another four years before I actually <laughs> moved on it so I worked for four years and then and then uh, and then I headed off to seminary and got a master of divinity degree in in um, with a pastoral major and a sports ministry emphasis and then cool. that kind of launched me into my second career. Yeah, so then serving as a pastor, were you married at that point? Or? Uh, I was not. I was single. Um, and when I came back and I began my pastoral career at Elmbrook Church, I actually met my wife through a blind date at the <laughs> church. Um, it, you know, it, it's, kind of, it's funny. It's one, one of the, the youth pastors, she, was, she worked in his ministry and you know, I was the new young single pastor on the block, and and he and his wife said, "Hey, you ought to meet this this gal." And so we went on a blind date, and that and it turned out okay. I actually went. I've gone on like six blind dates before that, and I'd say maybe three of them were okay. 
two of two or three of them weren't good at all <laughs> and so i was a little bit hesitant but this one obviously worked out okay yeah you kept trying so yeah. <laughs> cool so then uh 18 years you said of pastoral ministry and yes. now the and fellowship now, of christian athletes yeah i mean my 12th year with fellowship of christian athletes so what why the transition um you know elmbrook was changing um in their focus and leadership um, when I was hired, I was hired as a full-time sports ministry pastor. I did that for most of my years there. Um, they had a change in senior pastor leadership, and so some of the emphasis in the, the, the church went more to small groups, and so all of a sudden they decided that they, want, they wanted and needed me to step into men's small groups on a part-time basis. And so for the last two and a half years, I was doing both. I was doing sports ministry half-time and men's small groups half-time, and I mean, the men's ministry was is a great ministry there, a very impactful ministry. But I had what I would call a divine discontent. Mm-hmm. Um, I would anytime I would have dreams about ministry things, it was always in sports ministries. I'd wake up and be disappointed that I couldn't pursue some things, and um, it sort of it was sort of just there, and I was just sort of I, divine discontent is what I would call it, you know. And I just began thinking, you know, this just isn't right. Um, I, you know, my passion isn't being fanned. Um, I ended up talking to the men's ministry pastor who was a good friend of mine there and he agreed, um, with me and we prayed together that, you know, if God wanted, had something else, he, that he would open a door. And it was really, um, I mean, it was about nine months later that the FCA opportunity opened up, um, and I was able to step into that. And so that was, um, it was a hard transition. I, I love Delmbrook. Um, they were my family for 18 years. Uh, I believe it. they're one of the best spiritual resources in southeastern Wisconsin, and I mean, really, on our staff. If I had a if I had a theological question that came my way, I could literally walk down the hallway and find somebody that was more had more expertise in it than I did. Um, you know, it's like, why would you leave that? Plus, I I got a I got a paycheck every couple of weeks, and though in, in a very real sense. Church ministry is much like FCA. It really is a faith finance deal. You know, the congregation has to give for the pastors mm-hmm. to get their salary. But it was never an issue. I never had to worry about it at Elmbrook because somebody else took care of the money, and I just got my paycheck. And I was stepping out of that into a faith finance where I had to raise my own support. Mm. Um, so those were the two big hurdles, Le- leaving the resources that were right at my doorstep and having the challenge of raising my support Um it took me. It probably took me a, a couple months to to um, process through that and realize that God's call was to leave there and to head into the FCA ministry. Yeah. How do you make a decision like that? Like, what's your what was your process? Well, you know, I prayed about it. Um, my wife and I talked about it. We I shared my fears. I shared my hopes. Um, you know, it, it it was there was some frustration involved in the last two and a half years at Elmbrook. Real honestly, just you know, I would wake up. F- from some of those dreams and I would have ideas or um, there were times when I wanted to to pursue something with sports ministry and I was told by the leadership I there wasn't time or resources to do that and so there was there were frustrations that were built up over years that my wife and I together had experienced and so there was just sort of a um, if you will we listed some of the frustrations that we had that we had experienced we listed some of the challenges that would come if we changed we listed the things that we would miss and lose, and then we listed the things that we would gain, and um, and then we prayed. 
And, you know, we just, and we just said, you know, um, this isn't just me making the decision. It's both of us. Um, and, you know, if I leave this salary and all of a sudden we hit rough times with FCA, it's going to impact the family as much as it impacts me. And so we, we, we needed to be together on it. My wife pretty quickly um, thought it was a good deal for me to, to go do it. She just, I think she saw my passion and she saw my frustration. And, um, and so it took me a little bit longer to believe that God was really asking me to do it. And you know, there actually was a time when some things happened on the FCA front that looked like it wasn't going to happen. And I thought that God was taking me through the whole process just so that I would have a better appreciation for mm-hmm. what I had at Elmbrook. And then all of a sudden, when I sort of thought it was not going to happen, it all of a sudden happened. And, and, and I was ready at that point to step in. Yeah, cool. Awesome. So um, when I decided I was going to do this podcast, I made a list yeah. of people I wanted to interview. And you made the cut of like the first 10 people that Ooh. immediately popped into my mind of people. I, and, and so here's the, the cool and unique thing about that is, is you and I d- like didn't actually know each other that well. No. Um, pretty much spent like a couple of days and a weekend together years ago. Yeah. Um, and you just had that kind of an impact mm. like as far as you know, somebody I immediately learned to respect and, 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 you know, just the way you present yourself is very, it's just awesome. It's cool. I think that's Thank the you. way a man ought to present himself. And so I just ask some questions in that regard. Okay. Um, you maybe, maybe you can speak to it better than, than anybody else can, but, um, like you, you just have a genuineness about you, a transparency about you. Um, and it's impressive. It's, it's the way you ought to be. Hmm. Uh, can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> it's been, you know, it's um, I think some of it comes from my mom. Um, when I would when I would come home from school, um, she would ask me about my day um, and would in, encourage me to talk. And and on every report card I ever had when I was in grade school, the teachers always said, we wish Ralph would participate in class more. And. And I think that that was my mom's um, motivation to get me to talk more when I would come home, because I had a t- I have a tendency to be pretty quiet. Um, you know, I, I say this all the time. I'm a, I'm a Timothy when it comes to leadership. I'm a reluctant leader. Um, I I would much rather be a part of the team than being the one leading the team. Um, and and so um, I think my mom kind of worked at getting me to communicate what was going on inside of me. And she valued that. And I think that was, you know, I think that was the start of it as I look back on it. I think the, the second thing is, is that I've had some people in my life that have, have challenged me to be genuine and to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, Stuart Briscoe was probably one of my, is, he is one of my mentors. He was a senior pastor at Elmbrook that hired me. And in one of our conversations, I was sharing a frustration with Stuart about some things and whatever. And, um, and I think one of them was, was I was feeling inadequate in some ways that maybe I wasn't call, cut out to be a pastor at a church like Elmbrook, as big as Elmbrook was with all the challenges and whatever. And, Elmbrook, and, and, and Stuart said, Ralph, on the flip side of every great strength is a great weakness, but also on the flip side of every great weakness is a great strength. And, and one of the things that he encouraged me to do is embrace your strengths, but don't be afraid of your weaknesses. And, and so because of that, 
you know, and, and it wasn't like it was magical and all of a sudden I was willing to share my weaknesses, my inadequacies or whatever. Um, but, but I began to intentionally try to be transparent and vulnerable and real. Um, you know, I, I think Chuck Swindoll wrote, wrote a book about um, taking off our masks um, and in and, and real honestly, I, w- I'm, I was pretty good at keeping my mask on for a lot of years. Um, I, I could look pretty good um, and look like I had everything all together, even when I was coming apart inside. And I, I somewhere along the line, I had God put people into my life that challenged me to take my mask off and to be willing to talk about the real me and what was going on inside of my heart and and what were some of my fears and what were some of the things that I felt inadequate about and to be willing to talk about them, you know, helped. And I think one of the passages in scripture that helps me there is, I think it was Paul that said, when I am weak, then he is strong. Yeah. And I, and I, and I sort of realized that that was true and real. And I began experiencing it and realized that when I try to act like I have it all together, Inside, I feel very, very weak. Mm-hmm. But when I'm not trying to hide anything, I, I feel a whole lot more secure and strong. It's, it's like, well, you know what? This is who I am. If they don't like it, they don't like it. But it's not like they're going to find some skeleton in my closet. Now, having said that, I said it earlier, I do have issues. And God is still working on me. And I, I fight it all the time because somehow in my head, I think that here after walking with the Lord for 40 years, I, I I ought to have it together, but but honestly, what I've realized after forty years is the promise that He says that once I begin to do a work in your life, I'm going to keep doing that work until it's complete. And you and I realize I'm a pretty big project, and He's and He's working on me. And but I I don't have to be afraid of letting people know that that He's working on me, and that I'm not perfect, and that I that I do have issues. And and God says He still loves me. And I'm still valuable, even with those issues. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I talked about that a little bit with my students this morning in chapel, too. It's the idea that, I'm, you know, screw stuff up, you know. Like, there, is, I'm never actually going to earn you know, yeah. anything. It, it's all God's grace. And so then having that confidence, too, of, like, what's the, what's the worst day ever on earth? You're like, imagine the worst day ever. It ends with you dying, right? <laughs> Isn't that like the best thing that could ever happen to me? <laughs> you know, and that's just like when you start to think that way, um, you really, yeah, you can relax yeah. and be confident in that. Yeah. I re- you know, I remember I, I had uh, another mentor of mine, Dave Hubbard, um, who actually helped me through my, when my mom died. I sort of went into a little bit of a grief funk. I didn't know. I mean, here I had worked as a pastor for a number of years and had helped people through grief, and I've done had done funerals and whatever. And all of a sudden, I found myself um, being hit by it in a way that I didn't even know how to handle it. I sort of almost, I mean, I I I, I, I just I just went into a funk, is what really. And um, and I met with Dave, and we started talking about different things in my life. And and again, it was part of part of the reason I was in a funk was because. I wanted I wanted to keep a mask on, acting like I had it all together, and I was and I was ripped up at my core, having lost my mom, and uh, and I and I somehow felt like that didn't match my role as a pastor and a leader, and you know, and and so I I was, I'm, 
really unknowingly, I was trying to keep that mask on and it was, it was killing the whole natural process of grief. And so Dave actually helped me sort of stir some things up and, and get mm. the mask off. And, and at one point I said to him, um, I, I just want to be the best dad in the world to Leah and Jamie. And Dave said, wait, 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 wait. He said, the world's a pretty big place. <laughs> he said, how about if you just want to be good enough for Leah and Jamie? And, and, and that kind of that kind of shocked me into realizing that that's where I go when I'm putting my mask on. I want to be the best. I want to be perfect. I, I don't want to have any flaws. We're really God saying, just be Ralph. That'll be good enough. Yeah. And, you know, let me do my work in you and that'll be good enough. And so, you know, I'm still learning that. I mean, I'm, I'm learning all, I learn it all the time and, um, and I'm learning all the time. And, um, but it's a, it's a process that's been, you know, I think it's been effective. I mean, I think that that's what you, you witness in me because it, 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 it is me. I am, I do try to be genuine with people mm-hmm. and I try to be open and transparent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then to go along with that again, uh, you talked about having skeletons in your closet. And I think the more, the closer you walk with your Savior, the fewer those skeletons are going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's definitely, like, it's a lot easier to be transparent when you don't have, I mean, not, we all have stuff to hide. I mean, we <laughs> definitely yeah. have stuff to hide. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I think Mr. So Kevin Festerling, who we've had on the podcast before, he's the, he's going to be the, he's the founding leader of Kingdom Prep, which mm-hmm. is going up in Tosa. And, uh, he was talking about that with with his with his guys is like there are, there are a whole bunch of things that if you like if anybody ever found out about him you probably wouldn't be married anymore he definitely wouldn't be leading a new school anymore like you probably wouldn't have about half the friends he has and like but everybody you know everybody yeah. has that stuff that if it came out of yeah. the, and so a understanding that there is no perfect eye looking at you like I think it's John chapter four. Where Jesus draws a line in the sand and says, mm-hmm. "Let him who is sinless cast the first stone." Yeah, yeah. Um, understanding that as the as the you know looking at yourself as the adulterous woman, um, but then also the confidence of saying, like, we've all we're all in this mess together. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and yeah, they're really yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, one of the other things that Dave helped me see was that um, the power of shame in my life. I mean, I. I mean, I now, I now know, and I'm not going to name all the different places it came from, but I had people in my life that were shamers early in my life, and I learned very quickly to take on sh- the shame. And, um, and, and what shame does, it tells you that you're a bad person or you're not worth anything or whatever. And, and my response to shame is I want to hide. And so when I want to hide, I put on a mask. And so if I want to look like I'm doing okay, but I am feeling like I'm not doing okay because of the shame, I put on a mask. And so what Dave has taught me is I've got to acknowledge the shame and I've got to shine a light on it. I've got to shine God's light on it because most of the time the shame is, is a lie. It's part of Satan's attack on me. He knows that it will take me down. And so if I can shine God's light on it, if there is guilt there, which means I've done something wrong, then I can then I can actually take God's forgiveness towards that guilt. But if it's shame there that's that shouldn't be there, that's ill-founded, and I see that God says, hey, you know, there's nothing to that. It's it's a lie. Then then I don't have to put my mask on. 
Yeah. Then I can say I'm feeling I'm feeling, you know, and, and that's one of the things that that has been helpful is something as simple as saying to my wife, I'm feeling the shame tonight. I, I'm just feeling the shame. I don't want to hide from you, but it might be why I'm quiet, you know, and so whatever. And, you know, and, and she'll and, you know, and we've gotten good at asking each other. So where do you think it's coming from? What, you know, what 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 triggered it? You know, whatever. And we talk about it, you know, which that's just the opposite of what I want to do. My default mode is to just be quiet, to hide from it, to to try to act like I'm handling it, everything, you know, whatever. But when we can expose it, shining God's light on it, it allows me to be more free, to be real and yeah. transparent. Yeah, cool. What does it look like when you're, when, when, how do you teach that to your children? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. You know, it probably would be better to have them here answering that question <laughs> to see if I have, actually have done it. But, you know, I think part of it is, is something as simple as saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Um, you know, I, I, I've had I've had times where I have, you know, unloaded on them um, just because they messed up a little bit, and I'm unloading on them because I feel cruddy myself. Mm. And when I and I, when I realize that, I try to quickly go and confess that to them and tell them and apologize or whatever. Um, you know, I think that's probably the best way. I think the other thing is that they that they've watched. Um, their mom and I talk about shame and what it's done to us and how, you know, and, and you know, just kind of talking about that. Um, I think that I think that's probably been the best way. I'll be I'll be real honest with you. I, um, I, I know that I've passed some of the shaming tendencies on to my kids um, because I, I do it so well. <laughs> you know, it's it's my default right. mode. Yeah. I take on shame. And so. I've noticed, and it's really interesting because I'm really sensitive to this issue. I've noticed how quickly they take it on, and it's like, oh crud! They might have gotten some good things from me, but they got some bad things mm-hmm. from me too. And so, you know, when I see it with them, I try to do the same thing with them: enter into a conversation and and just get them to realize that it's it's just it's going to be an exercise that they're going to have to learn to do too, so that it doesn't take mm-hmm. them down. Cool. Uh, so you had two, you have, have two kids. Yeah. <laughs> you have two kids, uh, a son and a daughter. They're both in their mid twenties. Twenty, yeah. Okay, yeah. And so as they're growing up, um, what did you do with them, or did you do anything with them intentionally to, you know, build that spiritual foundation with them? And w- what did that look like? <laughs> yeah. Um, We, you know, I was very much aware of the challenges of having um, them be PKs, pastors' kids. <laughs> um, my daughter handled it better than my son did. Uh, my son actually never ever connected at Elmbrook, and part of that was because he really resisted and rebelled being Ralph's kid. He wanted to be Jamie Miro. Yeah, I experienced the same thing as a PK myself. Yeah, and so. Um, you know, so, so we actually did it a little different way with both of our kids, um, because Leah was more embracing of some of the Elmbrook things. We encouraged her to be involved in some of those things. We pushed Jamie a little bit into some things, but, um, but mostly we sort of just realized that, um, us living out our faith was going to be the most important thing. 
and it was going to come in 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 the practical thing. It wasn't going to come in like, you know, Jamie. When we would pray before meals, Jamie would roll his eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like all the things that we were supposed to do. He sort of rebelled against. It was part of that package, and so, um, you know, so we gave him a lot. Of, we gave him a lot of latitude and freedom um, to to rebel against it a little bit, um, which I know a lot of people probably thought we were weren't doing the right thing. Um, you know, uh, we wouldn't, we, once he, once he graduated high school, we didn't force him to go to church. We invite him, we encourage him. He's, he's right now, uh, pretty much an Easter mother's day, Christmas attender. Um, but he, he went through some things in his life just a little while ago where he texted me and said, Hey dad, where's that verse that says this, mm-hmm. you know? And so I know that there's some, I know that there's some things happening in his life, you know, it's, this is going to this is probably going to sound heretical to people but um we we would when when they were little we read bible stories to both kids you know um i sang songs with both i had a song with both of my kids um that you know with Jamie it was away in the manger with Leah it was this is the day the lord has made and so in special times, we would sing that, and every once in a while, they would ask me to come in and sing the song before they went to bed. We read some Bible stories to them when they were really, really little. When Jamie got older, um, into high school, we I stopped reading books to him or devotions to him or Bible verses to him. But instead, I'd come in at when it was time for him to go to bed, and I would ask him about his day and try to engage him in what happened, anything, you know, interesting, whatever. Sometimes those conversations were really, really short. Sometimes he would get into things and talk about things. When he would get into things, then I would, at times, I would bring a Bible passage into it, or sometimes I wouldn't, and I would just try to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading on that and just try to engage him. But one of the things that we did is we would watch Hogan's Heroes mm-hmm. after <laughs> our, those conversations. And so when he was done talking, he would say, Dad, can we watch Hogan's now? And so we would put on Hogan's Hero, and he would fall asleep watching Hogan's Heroes, and usually I, sitting in the recliner, would fall asleep watching Hogan's Heroes too. And to this day, when I watch a Hogan's Heroes, I usually fall asleep. I like <laughs> them. I think they're funny and whatever. But, you know, it, it's, it, it's one of those things that, um, that sounds non-spiritual, but it was spiritual in the fact that it said to Jamie, Dad's going to spend time with me mm-hmm. because I'm important. And, you know, and so I, have, I just have to believe that my living my life and being consistent. And, you know, he said in the last, in the last year, he has said to me a couple of different times, Dad, you know, you're really good at talking about God without shoving it down people's throats. So that means he's been listening. He's been yeah. watching. He's been observant. So I know that's happened. I'll be real honest. There have been times where I felt like I haven't done enough as a as a, a dad for either Jamie or Leah that maybe we should have done something more formal like a daily devotion or family altar or some of those things that you hear people doing. I, we didn't do some of those things because I was afraid that I was totally going to turn them off being pastor's kids. And so, you know, we did the best we could and hopefully that's going to be enough. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the, I, I look at my own family. It was similar to that. You know, we definitely were intent. They definitely were intentional about that. And growing up, we always said our prayers before bed, and we after after dinner, we'd always read, you know, a, a devotion after dinner before yeah. we went off. But again, you know, you're expected to be with us and participating with us, 
and you know take yeah. the lead in your own spirituality which is great yeah. spirituality is probably not the right word but yeah <laughs> faith no. life yeah faith yeah. walk cool um so uh going into it then what does your uh like we talked a little about it a little bit earlier but what does your personal devotional life look like um well i try to do <laughs> i try to read a passage daily um it's oftentimes the proverb of the day I, I oftentimes when I'm talking about this, I say it's sort of, that's sort of like my granola bar. You know, if I don't have time to eat breakfast, which I know is really, really important to, to eat, and I try to eat a, a healthy breakfast, but sometimes I'm on the run and I just got to grab a granola bar. Mm-hmm. That proverb of the day is my granola bar. It's just so that I get some nourishment. Um, then <laughs> other days I spend a half hour or so actually in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's on a, uh, a follow-up to the Sunday sermon. Sometimes it's on just something that I'm dealing with. Sometimes I'm reading systematically through a book of the Bible. Um, so I try to do that on, on, a, a, on a fairly regular basis, try to do it two or three times a week besides just doing the proverb mm-hmm. of the day. And then I've talked about the Wednesday. The Wednesday mornings are four hours um, from nine to one at this prayer cottage, and I do soul care. During that time, it's a time of prayer. It's a time of um, journaling. Um, it's a time of just sitting and letting God talk to me. Sometimes I'll put on a, a, a CD and let the music sort of soothe my soul or, or spur my thinking. Um, I oftentimes take a, just a notepad and set it next to my chair while I'm being quiet and, and as things come to mind, I'll write it down. Um, it's been amazing, especially when I first started doing this. God would bring people to mind, and I would just, I didn't know what to do with it at first, and so eventually I started writing it down, and anytime God brings a person to mind, I, I now reach out to them. And it's been amazing to me how many times I've made a phone call or shot an email or a text to somebody, and they've shot back, wow, that was perfect timing. I needed to hear that. And I realized that's God's agenda. And so for me, that's what I, that's what I want. I want to be on God's agenda. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty good at making my own agenda and sticking to it. In fact, sometimes I'm too good at that, that I don't let God bump in and send me off on his little, you know, adventures. And so I'm trying to get better at that. And, and so I try to build that into my, my own devotional life. And particularly that happens on those Wednesdays at the soul care time. Cool. And you got the kind of flexibility to do that too, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just out of curiosity, do you work from home or do you have like an office somewhere that you? You know, I do. The last the last three years, I've worked from home. Prior to that, we had an office in downtown Waukesha, but um, we had a, a change in the my supervisor, who is the area director for this area. Um, there was a change of area directors, and the new area director. Um, didn't think that the office in Waukesha was really being a benefit to us. And in, in some ways it was hindering me particularly because tra- traveling in and out of oh, downtown yeah. Waukesha was not that convenient. And so um, we, she made the decision to save the, the rental expense of the office itself and work from our home since we could do so much, you know, with, you know, the digital age and, yeah. you know, whatever. So, so I, so I now work from home. Yeah. That's some awesome flexibility too. Yeah. You got to be disciplined to do that though. Yeah. There are some, there are definitely some more distractions. 
um, there's there seems like there's just always a project to do at home, and um, I I just have to um, ignore them at times, which. You know, sometimes I get in trouble because when I when I'm supposed to be doing those projects, I sometimes ignore them too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got two questions that I ask every single guest. I did prepare you a little bit, um, but uh, the, the two big questions I like to ask. Let's start with if you could go back and talk to your 18 year old self, just spend five minutes with him, give him one piece of advice. What would you tell your 18 year old self? Um, don't be afraid to take risks. Keep learning to trust God every day. And um, don't forget to celebrate along the way. What do you mean don't forget to celebrate along the way? Um, you know, we all have we all have victories. We all have blessings. We all have the, those special moments. Um, I, I like to think about it. I like to think about it this way. Like at, at, <laughs> at FCA, every year we do... Um, a big blowout uh, fundraising event. It used to be called our winner's dinner. We now call it FCA Night of Champions. It, it, we pour a ton of time into preparing for it, inviting people, getting all ready for it. We have a great night, and then the next day we're off running to the next event. Mm-hmm. There's there's not time to just stop and say, wow, look what God did, You know this whole process. I do that in my own life. Mm-hmm. I go from... I go from thing to thing to thing to thing just as soon as I get done with something I'm looking to the next thing I have to do and in doing that I oftentimes miss um, and even even while I'm in the midst of something I'm sometimes looking at the next thing and I miss the opportunity to celebrate you know one of my mm-hmm. one of my verses that I that I like is um, this is the day the Lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it and I like to sort of paraphrase it a little bit this is the day the Lord has made let us rejoice and celebrate it and I think God says that every day is a gift. Are you celebrating it? And quite honestly, when I was younger, I didn't. I was looking for the next thing. I was trying to go to the next level, um, whatever. And, you know, I think as I've gotten older, I've realized the value of pausing and celebrating because there's great, there's great joy and great, great, great blessings along the way. That's that's something I needed to hear right now. That's something, especially winding down a school year. That's yeah, something imagine. I needed to hear. All right. So then the last question is, what is a Christian man or what makes a Christian man? Yeah, that's a great question. A Christian man. And it never had the same answer twice either. Okay. Well, I, you know, I would think just by definition, a Christian man is is a man that is committed to following Christ and honoring him in the way he lives his life, um, which I'm, you know, I think about what what does that mean? That means um, embracing the person that God's made you to be, embracing the experiences He's given you along the way, embracing the process of what He's trying to do in your life, um, being willing to open yourself up to Him, give Him your heart. Um, be willing to take the risks that he asks you to take um, and realize that he says that once you've decided to follow him, he wants you to be his ambassador, which means you represent him in everything you do. Um, and so I think um, being a Christian man means that you're tough and courageous, but you're tender and sensitive. Um, I think it, it means that you're letting um, the values of God flow into your heart and then once they're in your heart, you let them spill out into your life. 
And I think that includes things like love and courage and discipline and grace and mercy, compassion. Um, some of those things that would could look like being soft characteristics, but they're really Christ characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, but but in there are things like courage and boldness and um, and and those kind of things too. So it's being willing to embrace all those things and discovering um, discovering the, the the specific gifts God's given you and embracing those and um, and using them to benefit his kingdom. Awesome. Thanks again, Ralph, for sitting down, spending some time with us. Thank you, Charlie. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can find more episodes like this on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, and Pippa. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Time to Gird Up. You can find us on Facebook at The Gird Up Podcast. Or if you want to email me, you can email me at Coach Ungemach, that's U-N-G-E-M-A-C-H, at gmail.com. Please leave a five-star rating and review on this podcast on iTunes. The more four and five star ratings we receive, the more people we will reach on iTunes because iTunes will boost us more. Thank you to Seth Palmeyer for our podcast art. And thank you to you, the listener, because without you, this podcast would not be possible. So with that, I encourage you to go out, man up, gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. Have a good one.